Hello, hello, my dearest peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi. Welcome to Peace Mindedly. This is the first episode of season three, and I am so delighted and so excited to have you here with me. We are live on many social media channels, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and and many others. It's very easy to find us. And uh, also, we publish uh, the same conversation that we are going to conduct today on many podcast platforms. That includes Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many of those. It's very easy to find our our show. Also, to find out more about what we've got in store for you, please check our website, goldtune.com. G-O-L-T-U-N-E, goldtune.com. When you visit goldtune.com, I really appreciate to um, sign up for our newsletter to put down your email address. It's a way for us to communicate with you and also for you to communicate with us because we would love, we love to hear from you. So coming up over the next hour, we are talking about Islamophobia and its effect on Muslim communities in the United States. One guest who is connected to this subject is physics Olympian who just directed her third feature movie, I'll Meet You There, which tells the story of the three generations that make up a Muslim American family. One of the protagonists in the movie is Majid a Chicago policeman who lives with his gifted ballerina teenage daughter, Dua. Dua is a senior high school student who's been kept away from her father's religion, tradition, and family secret. That changes when Majid's estranged dad visits him from Pakistan unannounced. We find their grandpa is a devoted Muslim who starts visiting a neighboring mosque in Chicago and Majid is eventually asked to exploit that connection by his superiors as part of a terrorism investigation that could make or break his career. Right now here, I have a clip of the movie that I would like to play with you. Why'd you ask me to call before I came in? What? Your grandfather is here. From Pakistan? Oh my God! You're drunk? It's okay, dude. Honey... Why did you go upstairs? How long did you saw him last? 12 years. I didn't want to see his face after my wife died. Listen to me, okay? If you're staying in your studio, I want you to kill anything that screams dance. He's just trying to protect you, the one. From what? The FBI has asked for our support. What can I do for you? We'd like you to start attending the mosque regularly. I don't go to mosque, but we'd like you to find a reason to go. Welcome to. Iram Parvin Bilal directed I'll Meet You There, and I have Iram here with us on the studio. Hello, Iram. Hi, Salam. So nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. With Ir- okay, it's not Iram. I mean, I'm I'm pr- pronouncing it in Farsi <laughs> accent, but it's Iram. Irem. Irem, so, yeah. Yes, with Irem, we have Nikita Tawani. Nikita plays Dua's character. Nikita is a young New York-based actor. She has appeared in a few TV shows and played in a play adaptation of Khalid Hussein's A Thousand Splendid Sun. Welcome, Nikita. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. To help us make sense of the movie, its dilemma and struggle, we also have with us Dalia Mrahed, Director of Research at the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, or ISPU. She leads the organization's research and thought leadership programs on American Muslims. ISPU has just published a new survey on American Muslims. Dalia is also former executive director of the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies, where she led the analysis of surveys of Muslim communities worldwide. I am super excited, ladies. Thank you so much for being with me here on this program. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. It's an honor to have you, Dalia. Good to absolutely. see you again. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yes. Awesome. So I want Iram. Tell us what is the movie about? <laughs> so I'll meet you there. Um, the Urdu title is Bismil from um, an Urdu word, Rakse Bismil, which is the dance of the wounded. It's the Dervish dance, the Sufi Dervish dance. I'll meet you there is a film about a Muslim American uh, middle-aged police officer in Chicago and his teenage ballerina. And it's about what happens just five minutes into the film when the estranged grandfather lands unannounced from Pakistan. And um, the cop has been asked by his boss to go undercover in a community masjid, a mosque. And uh, he's not actively practicing. And so when his father asks to take him to the mosque, you know, things kind of work collides with home and a lot of things start. A domino effect starts at home. And um we're just very excited. This is a film that has been in the works for a really long time. It has a lot of partner organizations and it was in competition last year at South by Southwest, one of 10 out of thousands. And we were just about to take off six days before the premiere when COVID canceled South by for the first Ouch. time. But the premiere is going to be tomorrow. The, yeah, the, so the screen. Inshallah. Yeah. We, we basically licked our wounds and got up and figured out and we pivoted with the times we have an incredible impact distribution lined up tomorrow night uh, at February February 3rd, 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 Eastern uh, with Level Forward. And a F Pillars Fund is doing the first night and a conversation on recent surveillance. And we wanted Dahlia on that. So I'm so happy she's here today and the schedule is permitting. She's incredible. For the sake of the conversation and get the conversation going, I, I want us to, if you could tell us or explain what is Islamophobia? And and also in this movie, Muslims are profiled as terrorists by by police uh, police department, and why that's happening. So first, thank you so much for having me, and um, and it's wonderful to share this program with Aaron um, and to, and discuss these important issues. So, what is Islamophobia? Islamophobia is an irrational fear of Islam and Muslims that um, leads to real life consequences like racial, racial profiling, religious discrimination, as well as bullying of, of children in school. And we've studied Islamophobia extensively at ISPU. And what's really important to understand is that oftentimes we think of Islamophobia as interpersonal. You know, someone gives you a dirty stare at the grocery store or says something unkind to you. Um, you know, your neighbor is cold to you when you when you try to talk to them, whatever. And, and of course, this is part of Islamophobia. But the part of Islamophobia that I'm so glad we're, we're finally talking more about is institutionalized Islamophobia. And that's really the um, 
the Islamophobia that that really impacts people's lives the most. The the greater perpetuate, I mean, the greater the greatest perpetuator of Islamophobia is the state, and it's through programs like um, mass surveillance of mosques. Now, what we've discovered in our research is that Islamophobia hurts everyone. It, of course, hurts Muslims as the first um, victims, the first target. But when Islamophobia takes hold of a society, of, um, of a community, it hurts everyone because it hurts freedom, because it erodes the very foundation of freedom. Uh, and when folks start endorsing anti-Muslim stereotypes, what else, what, what also happens is they start to accept authoritarianism. They start to accept um, the erosion of basic freedoms. I think that a movie like this, I'll meet you there, help us to at least visualize some of those experiences that Muslim are going through. Is it really important to have such fiction movies about the subject? It's absolutely important because it raises awareness. It also tells a human story. It tells um, the story of a Muslim family. And, and it's important for people to understand how these programs impact real human beings. And, and that's, you know, one of the best ways to do that is through storytelling, which is what Aram, of course, um, is, is doing with this film. Absolutely. And through storytelling, we know that Doa's character is going through lots of changes and lots of um, lots of dilemma, probably. But one thing that really caught my attention was uh, her double thinking about her passion towards dancing. What's happening? Tell, uh, walk us through the, the uh, issue, the situation. Yeah. So um, in my, you know, the way that I interpreted the script and the character um, and was kind of able to relate it back to my, my own life was that Dua grew up with a father who she was very close with, um, who never stopped her from pursuing anything and doing what she wanted to do, which in many ways is different from a lot of the stories that we we hear about um, immigrants and their relationship with their uh, children and vice versa. And so she was able to freely pursue dance and find this passion that she loved and it's her whole life. But I think one of the things that's always been missing in her life is a sense of family. I mean, her father is her family, but when her grandfather comes, she says it's as, as it's in the trailer, it's the first time she feels like she really had a family and there's another table at the, uh, there's another seat at the table. And, um, and I think in many ways she's trying to figure out who she is and what her grandfather believes, and she's trying to connect with her grandfather and what he believes in his 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 values are obviously very different than what she's grown up with. So I think in many ways she's trying to connect those those roots and that and that aspect of her culture and who she thinks her family is and um, connect to her grandfather, but also stay true to who she is and what she loves to do. And I think that's something that we can all relate to. Absolutely. In the pre-interview that we had, you explained that somehow the character reminds you of your own life. So what are the correlations? Well, you know, as a South Asian American growing up here, my my parents are from India, my family's from, from India, and becoming an artist was not a cultural norm. And I mean, I'm sure you hear this from 
not just South Asians, um, but it's not a cultural norm. So there were a lot of things that I had to fight against and there still are. And, and there's a constant struggle between what is normal for, for me and what I've grown up seeing and what my, my people that I know, friends, family are pursuing versus what I'm pursuing. And it causes a lot of, of that conflict and that stress inside me where I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I went in the wrong direction. Maybe all of this is wrong. Maybe I've spent my life pursuing something that I um, shouldn't have done. And, and, and it's, it's a constant reminder to, to stay true to who I am, to, to do what I love and against all odds, pursue it. And in that way, I think, I mean, I think so many people can relate to that, even if it's not acting or, you know, Yes. So I wonder that whether or not, uh, at least as Muslim Americans in the United States, we do feel this kind of freedom of pursuing our dreams, of doing of what we want to do or what we like to do. I'm just going to bring Dahlia into a screen, but here's, here's what I'm thinking. So I, I wonder, uh, Iram, in your opinion, what are the differences of uh, Muslim women living in the United States and Muslim women living in Pakistan? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of these two communities that you thought, okay, I would like to depict in, 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 my, in, my, in my movie? That's a thesis question. I need a PhD <laughs> in five years to respond to that properly. I, I do want to sort of shout out something that Dahlia said earlier, which is that you know, Injustice Anywhere affects, you know, everybody. And this film, actually, it's interesting um, in the crew. You know, we have a Jewish co-producer, a Christian Baptist co-producer, a Native American executive producer. We have Hindus, Muslims. Everyone came together for the script, kind of resounding what she's saying, which is that when we start trampling on anyone's freedom, it is a threat to everybody's freedom. And even in the audience, we feel that, right? Um, going back to your question, Listen, there's the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, I feel that as you know, there's few of us, I guess, in America would be my initial response to what you're saying, as opposed to obviously in our homelands. There is opportunity um, that I feel that you have when you are uh, able to create stories in a country like this, just because the, ample, the the speaker, the loud, the megaphone is louder, say, if as opposed to if you're launching from Pakistan. But then again, in this uh, day and age where thankfully authentic authorship has become woke for people and fashionable, I think that really accepting your original voice and where you're from and what your community is, I have always been that way, but it's become fashionable now. So I would encourage uh, all my sisters to really just lean into your identity and, and just the more we can put data out there of what it means to be Muslim, because there's no one kind of Muslim, right? The more we're humanized and the more the less we're otherized. And that to me is a beginning of equality, which is why it's important in entertainment and storytelling for us to tell our stories, uh, as opposed to somebody else to tell our stories and kind of, you know, just tokenize us. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on on this uh, on this uh, question that why or at least I think it's important that Muslim women tell their stories from their point of view. But Dahlia, what makes it different? For instance, Iram tells the story of Islamophobia or a person 
outsider tells the story of Islamophobia? What, what is the differences from perspective? Well, I think the difference is nuance and a thought authenticity. Um, when we can speak for ourselves, when we can tell our own stories, it it depicts a, a realistic human textured story that someone outside the community just won't be able to get perfectly right. Um, and it doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's important for every community to have storytellers. This is how we tell our own story, speak for ourselves rather than being the subject of someone else's story. Um, if we don't like um, being spoken about, we have to speak for ourselves. And I think storytellers are such an important component of that. Um, the work we do with survey research is really an attempt to do the same thing. We're telling stories with numbers. We're, we're doing scientific surveys of Muslim Americans so that Muslims are able to speak for themselves, even in, if it's in terms of a survey. Yes. So what kind of stories that you think has the most impact of depicting not Islamophobia, but probably strength of a Muslim community in the United States? I think it's any story that's compelling, that's that's um, reaching people's hearts, uh, is the best story to tell. You know, Do you have story? such a story? Can you share such a story with us? <laughs> um, you know, I, I have my own story and um, my own background. I, I was just, and actually what I was going to say is that Aram's story is one story and, and there are lots of stories and we need to tell all of them. We, we have to uh, be allowed to be fully human. And I, and I talk about this a lot because as a community that's been so stereotyped, we are, um, we are tempted to be very sanitized in the way that we tell our stories. We want to be counter stereotypes which is really just as bad as, as being a stereotype. We have to be allowed to be just as messy as anyone else. Um, you know, my own story is that I, um, I, I really wanted to be a bridge builder. I wanted to be a translator between cultures and religions. And as someone who grew up, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin, a liberal progressive town, I I am I kind of absorbed these values and and was reading my scripture from that perspective and I was inspired to read the Quran after reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was um, from this sort of prism of human liberation that I really you know read the Quran for the first time as a teenager from from the perspective of wanting to understand and wanting to learn for myself, not because anyone was telling me. And it was through this process that I ultimately believed really, um, you know, independently uh, came to a place of conviction after really wrestling and, and questioning the book. Um, so we, we all have our own stories and, uh, and it's incredibly important that, we, that a, a diverse set of voices are out there telling those stories. So you said something that resonated with me. You said that uh, to be allowed to be as messy as we want to be. So it really reminds me of this uh, this kind of attitude that probably has put upon us or 
just sort of a pressure against Muslim community that when or if anything goes wrong, we need to be apologetic over yes. the wrongdoing. And that really kills me. I'm thinking, why should every Muslim organization, why should every Muslim community, why should every Muslim woman <laughs> apologize for something that has nothing to do with them? So I think I think this is very important that just just this is this I mean yes we are, it's it's the, the the community is diverse and we need we we just have to yeah respect that probably I I totally agree with you we have to stop internalizing collective blame and collective guilt um it it won't go away unless we first stop internalizing it. And the first step to that is refusing to apologize or feel any kind of shame for something we did not do. Uh, and, and unfortunately, when you look at research on this, Muslims are the most likely to feel shame when someone from their religious community does something wrong, more than Jews, more than Catholics, all these other faith communities, when they're you know, religious, um, you know, a person from their faith does something terrible in the name of their faith, they don't feel that sense of shame like we do. And that's, uh, and that has to change. We, we just have to have a different perspective. I wonder, when, yeah, Iram, go ahead. I was going to say that it's so incredible that you said that, Dahlia, because, you know, the, the first draft of this came like five years after 9-11 when uh, of a classmate of mine, an Iranian-American, uh, as a matter of fact, her father was picked up from a mosque after Fajr prayers. And uh, after two years of being in jail, being forced to eat pork sausages, the, the, the charges were incorrect filing of taxes. And so this, this script was germinating in me. And I think that going back to the sort of trying to internalize blame, Every time after 9-11, when I was in a room, I felt the spotlight turn on me as the expert Muslim. And I was like, hold on, I'm trying to figure this out on my own pace. Like I can't say anything for other people. And I also saw, and that's why this film was important to make within the Muslim community, everybody felt like they needed to know suddenly what type of Muslim they were. So there were all these like super, you know, born again Muslims to conservative Muslims to Sufi, like everybody was like, oh, I need to know. And so then there was a lot of in intra-community struggle on the definition of what it means to be Muslim. And that's what this film highlights. So there is a lot of questioning of like, well, where does it say that, for example, dancing isn't allowed? Or there's a lot of space that, you know, we all need to coexist and respect each other on how we come to faith and we come to community. So the, the long line of the film really is, how do you stay true to yourself and still belong to community? Like Dua at the end, like, I, I don't want to give it away, but she kind of like, it's it's nuanced in the sense there's nobody right and wrong per se um, in this film. So it kind of captures what you were saying, Dahlia, in my making of the film, as well as the characters that are living in the world of the film. Nikita, you wanted to say something. Um, I, I felt that you, you wanted to add, but no, here's my... Yeah, oh, okay, so here's my question. So um, Dua is going through different phases throughout the movie. And, and I'm thinking, um, what does she learn through this process? I think she learns she's still young. I don't know if there is one, I think it's, it's a constant growth for her. And she's learning, she's in the process of learning how to balance 
and how to how to take what she is learning from one side and how to take what she's learned from another side and how to stay authentic to herself um, and how to stay true to herself and and how two different sets of cultures can can still create one unique identity as it is for all of us um, and that's what sort of begins for her I think you know I don't necessarily think it's like a bow tie where she learns it and then that's it you know I think it's it's the beginning of a of a lifetime of growth and 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 yeah yes one thing is difficult to talk about a movie is just you really do not want to exploit the movie you really do not want to give it away yet yeah. at the same time yeah. <laughs> it no, no, it's, it's important to talk about identity as a constant evolution and obviously as immigrants going back to your question about women in pakistan versus here as immigrants we are kind of catapulted into this very fast evolution of identity and learning because you know when you're when you're in a country where it's homogenous right everybody most people are muslim most people look brown like have brown skin you're not questioning you're not really like looking back at yourself as somebody different right you're not conscious of it so but identity is constantly evolving where identity can be a facet of your knowledge your faith your relationship with your faith your gender your sexual everything and and if we start understanding that identity evolves and grows and if we all understand that's happening to us it'll naturally create more sabr more sort of lack of judgment more space because at the end of the day isn't it isn't life really about growth that's what mm-hmm. it's about right yes i i do not want to give give out the movie and exploit the movie uh, but um, i i love the transformation of duas character from you know swimming in this in this um, identity crisis and lands in where she really feels uh, she belongs to two worlds and not only one so stay put with me i'm going to come back you are listening to peace minded the podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers we live stream our show on on many social media channels including facebook youtube twitter many and it's very easy to find us i'm just looking at the sidebar of my my page because for those of you who are only listening and not watching the show we are um, having a com- communication with our audience and there is just a quiet uh, comments here that i i would like to to present them present them during our show the same conversation gets edited polished and be ready to be published on many podcast platforms including stitcher spotify iHeartRadio and so so on. We are taking the comments and questions. So if you have comment question, please submit. I do my best to to present them during the program. One thing, one unfortunate thing about today's show is that I do not have my co-producer assistant. So I'm just going through uh, the the show as best as I can. This episode is our first episode of season three, and you know the deal. We come here every two. Tuesday at noon Pacific Standard Time to talk about peace, to talk about kindness and compassion. The reason, in my opinion, I lived through revolution, I lived through war, and I was a war correspondent. So the, the issue that we right now have is like so much like war, uh, wartime issue. And in my opinion, during the wartime issue, the only thing that, that we need, in my opinion, the only thing we need is peace, kindness, compassion, and that is what we are doing. 
for next week, next episode, we are going to talk about sex and about intimacy and about sex among Muslim women. So uh, Chantal Blake and Dr. Nicole Monteiro are going to uh, walk us through how Muslim women are really dealing with sex, relationship and intimacy. And this is a special program for Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about this show and, and I hope that you can join us for the conversation. After that, February 16th, uh, following Tuesday, I'm talking with Hardrick Otama about finding a home. Otama is an Irish poet, theologian, and traveler who writes extensively about language, power, conflict, and religion. His new poetry book is out in paperback and is called In the Shelter, Finding a Home in the World. I think he and I are going to have uh, lots of discussion because oftentimes I really feel that everywhere is my home and yet I, I've been displaced. On February 23rd, we will talk with Dr. Sima Yasmin and Fahmida Azim about their recent book, Muslim women are everything. I absolutely love the title, absolutely, because I do believe that Muslim women are everything. So Yasmin is an Amy Award-winning journalist, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and medical doctor at Stanford University. She and Fahmida. Fahmida is cartoonist, illustrator, and artist. They wrote an engaging book about the contribution of Muslim women to every aspect of life. Right now, for this hour, we are talking with Irem Parvin Bilal, filmmaker and director of I'll Meet You There. She helped set up the Pakistani Oscar Committee and founded Pakistan's first professional screenwriting lab. I'm going to bring Irem here. Irem is also an active member of the Alliance of Women's Directors and Advocates for Fair Representation of Female Directors in the Movie and Entertainment Industry. Very good to have you here, Irem, with us. Nikita Tawani is the New York-based actress and graduate from from Tisch School of Arts at, uh, at New York University. Yes, I know. Nikita is active in the New York theater scenes, and we do have Dalia Mubahed with us, the director of research at the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. Dalia was invited to testify before the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations about U.S. engagement with Muslim communities. Her 2016 TED Talk was named one of of the top talks of the year, you can find Dahlia's TED Talk uh, conversation on goldtone.com. Okay, Dahlia, so would you believe that we Muslim uh, as a community are going to have a better, more fearing treatment by the host nation? What do you think? Well, so it's a great question. Um, one thing I'll I'll just preface my my answer with is that um, American Muslims are are a vital organ to the United States to the to just like every other community. America needs its Muslim citizens. America is a safer place, a more prosperous place, a more innovative place, a kinder and more compassionate place, more philanthropic place because Muslims call it home. So I think we have to always approach any conversation about our equal rights from that perspective is 
from a perspective of full ownership of this project we call America, rather than being guests or or someone waiting for a welcome. You know, I always I always respond when people say they don't feel welcomed in our country by you know just reminding them that no one waits for a welcome in their own home. This is about co-creating our future together. And, and that begins with an understanding of where we stand today. Um, we're, we're not in a place of, of, of begging for anything. The, you know, we're asking uh, and we're working for our constitutional rights and, um, and we are vested in uh, a better America for all. Um, and we, we are building that future together. Mm -hmm. So will it get better? The answer is it it most definitely will because so much is um, so much has already been invested. And when you look at the indicators of where you know where things are moving, what Trump did for the Muslim community, you know, if I if I were to just begin there, what Trump actually did for the Muslim community is he eliminated Islamophobia denial. There, there's Islamophobia did not begin with Trump, but there has been such widespread denial about even the concept of it. And now there isn't. And, and I think the first step to making things better is to recognizing that there's a problem to begin with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we are talking from our houses and I see the background noise on Yes, Thank you so much. I know that you are a mom. Thank you so much for giving your time to us. Okay, so I am thinking um, about uh, in the movie, Dua is uh, conflicted about adjusting with American culture while uh, respecting her grandfather's culture and tradition. There is a scene where she reads one of the most controversial controversial verses of Quran when it says it's okay for men to beat their wives if they forbid them. But why did you choose that verse? And what was, why did you choose that verse? I mean, so I, I kind of, there's a lot to unpack here. Before I address this, I do want to say something that Dahlia said, which is the fundraising of this film was successful because we did a crowdfunding uh, campaign that came out of my feelings at the LAX protests to the Muslim ban. So I completely agree with you. The denial that Islamophobia exists went away. And literally a week before that, I was filming something at the Women's March and I saw this African-American woman crying, uh, standing on a flagpole. And I went to her and I was asking her, you know, and she said, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm 18. I grew up in this country and I finally feel like I'm American. And I felt so sad. I was like, this is so sad for somebody who's grown up here. And literally a week later, I felt the same thing as mm. I was going to this airport with chance of like, let them in. We are, we are Muslims, all these signs. And I was bawling because I, I didn't realize how other I, I felt and how internally scared I was of that feeling. And I agree with you that in some ways this film is going to be so much, you know, so the timing is that it, it the kicks, the funding started with a Muslim ban and for like, 10 days after Biden reversed the executive order, the film is coming out. And honestly, I think that it is such better timing because people are actually willing to see a Muslim protagonist on screen. Going back to the verse. Um, so this, the script was read by multiple scholars and I just wanted to talk about interpretation 
and um, Dua and Dua's mother, um, you know, her mother had highlighted this this verse, you know, and and it's probably a verse that she was going to, you know, talk in her community and, and understand better. And so that scene really just exists to highlight how we all come to verses of scripture in uh, very different forms and how they can be misinterpreted and how the patriarchy can sometimes use those verses for their benefit. (laughs) Uh, And so that is kind of why that came up. And, you know, obviously as a Muslim woman growing up, there were certain things in the Quran that I was just, uh, you know, and then you read a different translation or you read, you're like, okay, well, I can view this this way. It's just, it's, it's kind of a natural progress in growth and understanding, right? It's um, so I wonder, Dua, what was your interaction when you were reading the, you are not Muslim, are you? No. So what was your interaction to say, oh my God, Muslims are saying these kind of things? No, of course not. Um, I think that like Iram said, any scriptures in any religions can be misinterpreted. And for me, I'm educating myself in these characters that I'm playing. Um, I'm educating myself and, and I'm creating an understanding for myself. And and it's not my job as the actor, as the character to judge on the outside of what, of what I'm reading or what I'm educating myself with. Because for me, it's my job as a character to understand what's happening and to create those questions in my head. Um, so no, from an outside perspective, that definitely did not happen. And it was a learning opportunity for me to be able to delve even further into the conflict that the character was facing. The conflict of the character. What was the major conflict? Well, again, it's the the idea that she is trying to find acceptance um, of what her, she is and her passion. You know, she, she was uh, told to look in the Quran for evidence essentially that dance that she shouldn't be dancing and i think that and so that's what she does and 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 she's finding different things along the way and i think again it comes back to that to the identity and the the different cultures she's been ex, she's currently being exposed to as to what she was exposed to for for her whole mm-hmm. life Dua's action and interaction with uh, her father is interesting so she's just this hip American girl who wants to, you know, sometimes, I mean, she's American. Yeah. And dad is Pakistani American. So what is the relationship between them? My father in the film is my mother and my father, um, because he is the only family that I know and that I have. And, you know, in many ways, they, they have a, a very specific relationship what i love about it is that it's not the film and and Ferran talks about this it's not the film is not about their conflict about like how the father is strict and he you know it's not about that it's actually they have a beautiful relationship and it's so different and i think that's one of the reasons why i was so drawn to the film is because they have their friends in a way and i love that that relationship but i think she from from my perspective, when she meets her grandfather, or after after many years, and she um, she talks to him, and and she's learning from him, she she never knew about any of this. She never knew about um, this whole basically his his identity and what he believes in. And I think she's confused. So I think maybe sometimes she may take it out on her on her father. She's a teenager, but I think she it's just more of an internal 
an internal um, struggle for her. Yes, yes, absolutely. Internal. I did, I did want to, sorry, I want to say quickly because I feel that there's so much media about, oh, these oppressed Muslim women. And I was so yes, over it. This, this was my next question. I was exactly. so over it. And so I wanted to show, even though my, I would say that Nikita's or uh, Dua's relationship with Majid is better than my relationship with my dad. I, I tease my dad. But, but you know, not all fathers are, you know, they're this, this notion. And actually, so it brings me to my next point, which is, the typical system is vested in propelling a certain narrative of Islam and Muslims, which is why nuanced stories find it so hard to be funded and to be distributed. I often would get notes from like the Hollywood agencies and like the powers that be that, oh, but something should be wrong in the mosque. Oh, like, you know, uh, yeah, like because they couldn't pin like the evil and the good and whatever it was, you know, or like the white characters need to have bigger parts or, you know, there are no named actors, even though we have incredible names. Why? Because they are South Asian names. And, you know, it's just systemic you know, stuff. So the moment you try and kind of create something that's nuanced and that falls between checkboxes, you will always have an uphill battle, which which is why we could not be happier with this impact distribution. Mashallah, we have so many people tuning in. And it's not just viewing the film. We're having these incredible talk forward sessions that are immediately translating the story into impact and policy. Throughout the year, we're going to be having arts action sessions with corporations with the film and hopefully even with policymakers. So Excellent. yeah. Awesome. You'll be expecting more invites. Yes, for sure. Dalia, what was your relationship with your dad? Where you rebellious? Well, I mean, alhamdulillah, thank God my dad is still alive. I have a wonderful relationship with my father. And um, he he has three daughters. He doesn't have any boys. And he's such a, he's so supportive of anything we want to do. I mean, he's so supportive of our dreams and always helped us all be confident and feel like we had something to say, something to contribute to the world. And that really started with him. And the other thing that he did for us that I think is so important is he made it, um, he made it very clear how we should be treated. You know, when your father treats you well, you're that's what you're going to expect from anyone else, from any other man in your life. Um, and I think that was one of the greatest gifts he gave us. Very good. I wonder, in your opinion, we just touched upon um, whether or not Muslim communities are going to have a better, fair treatment. But I wonder, in your opinion, what do you want to see? I I think that American Muslims are already doing everything they can. Um, we, we shouldn't have higher standards for them than anyone else. And this is really the point about allowing Muslims their humanity. They don't have to be perfect to be equal because no one else is perfect. So I think it's really important that we resist the, the um, temptation to want to be model minorities or, or to believe that being a model minority is, uh, is a condition for equal rights. We have to resist that. We should be treated justly and according to our, uh, and, and have our constitutional rights be respected. Why should we resist that to be the perfect? We should resist it because it is, um, it's actually very dehumanizing. If we want to be 
to be fully human means to be allowed to be messy and imperfect, just like white Protestants, and still have equal rights and still have our constitutional rights respected. What did we just see on January 6th? Were those perfect citizens? Were those well-behaved, upright people? Absolutely not. And yet we're not mass, we're not passing mass judgment on, um, you know, white people or white Christians. They are allowed to have, to mess up and it's fine. And, 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 and no one, I, I promise you, no white Christian watched that and was afraid to go to work the next day. But if it had been a group of Muslims, Oh my God. The, the capital, oh I guarantee every single person uh, that I know would be, first of all, it would, you know, we would be scared to walk out of our house. So what I am, what I'm saying is that it's time to ask a different question. It's not, it's the the question that we've been asking ourselves for the past 20 years is what can we do better? And we've, we've done so much already. And it, and, and my response to all of that is we should do our best because it's what our faith calls us to, but it can never be a condition for our constitutional rights to be respected. That's, that's really the key here. We should be allowed to be fully human. We should be allowed to be fully human. And that is our right to be respected as, as whoever we are. Whoever well, we, we are. are. Um, we, and, yeah. and we shouldn't, we should not absorb collective blame. There are going to be bad people in our community, just like there are bad people in any community. It, we should not, you know, take on this responsibility. We have to um, root out every bad human being in our community or else we deserve whatever we get. That We have to resist that line of thinking. So let's say that Biden needs to do one thing to improve Muslim community in the U.S., in Europe, what is that one thing? I think what he has full power over is is issues of institutional Islamophobia. He can't control how people feel or think, and, and I don't expect him to. It's not his job, but it is his job to reevaluate how law enforcement interacts with our community. What kind of resources are being invested in or, or actually wasted on mass surveillance, on entrapment. All of these things are what he has squarely within his power and needs to address. And also probably just give the white check to Iram for her next. <laughs> no, no, but, but in all honesty, I also think sort of absorbing um, people from uh, these diverse communities in his administration, which he's trying so that you have these people also you know, at the table in policy making, so you can actually, you know, and, and Dolly, I could listen to you forever. I think uh, you're absolutely right. You know, also human rights. If you're just born human, you should have human rights, right? What is feminism? I keep trying to explain to a lot of men in our community. Feminism just means females have human rights. Why would you not agree with that? You know, like uh, just reclaiming the understanding of what all these terms for justice mean? Like, why should I be perfect A plus so that I have a constitutional right that my voice be heard? No, if I'm American, so define American, which is one of the communities that is going to be speaking um, in our Immigrants and Identity panel on Friday. But it's exactly this, like define what it means to be American, you know, and that face as is tradition, it's changing. 
uh, from what a lot of sort of traditional white Americans and Caucasians have felt in like decades past. So what does it mean to be American? Define what to uh, what it means to be American, and that leads me to my next question. It's a challenging question, Iram, and I do not want to exploit the movie again. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna exploit the movie. But uh, I did not find the ending very promising, because because we see that okay, so uh, the grandpa is. Don't spoil the ending. No. Okay. So. <laughs> Well, how to how to say it? So, uh, Pakistan is Pakistan, U.S. is U.S. So, Pakistan needs to deal with its own issue, and U.S. needs to deal with its own issue. That was my sense. Well, so first of all, everybody is entitled to their opinion and sense on a movie. So, I appreciate and honor that that was your sense. My sense is also the Rumi quote, which I will be quoting at the end of this call. But I'll meet you there, which means that you and I might have different ideologies, but that does not mean we don't communicate. And that does not mean that we cannot meet in a middle ground where we can understand better where, where the other side is coming from. And that we tried to kind of depict that in a 360 in the entire film. And I cannot wait for you, Dahlia, to watch it, inshallah, tomorrow uh, or later in this week. But it's just, um, that's what my mission was with the film. But I, I completely respect that everybody's going to walk away with different ideas. And that's the, the, the beauty and the challenge of putting a piece of art in the world. Where to find the movies? Tell us again. So the film is going to be at uh, levelforward.live forward slash IMYT, which is the acronym for the film. I'll meet you there. Um, we start off tomorrow night at 5.30 p.m. These are live events. You can purchase a ticket, join live, or up to 72 hours later. Uh, you can watch it uh, up to that time and VOD. And we have Race and Surveillance tomorrow night. On Thursday night, we have Rhythms of Pakistan, a live dance performance, and a Sufi Kaval joining from Pakistan. And then on Friday, we have an Immigrants and Identity panel that is featuring celebrity Gen Zers all the way to people in their 50s talking about generational uh, evolution of what it means to be assimilate versus integrate, all those interesting conversations. Saturday, we have a filmmaker workshop and inshallah on the 11th, a week later, because we have some private events happening in the middle. Uh, the last public live event is a black tie cast gala. And then on the 11th, on the 12th, it'll be available for a video on demand across North America on premium cable, iTunes, Amazon, and everything else. Where can, fi- where can people find this information? Um, this information will be, um, if you go to I'll meet you there, the film.com, it'll forward you to Love Forward's website. Very good. So please stay put here. For this hour, we are talking with Iran Parvin Bilal, filmmaker and ardent advocate for fair representation of female directors in the movie industry. Iram's latest feature movie is All Meet You There. The title is taken from a poem by Jalal Eddin Rumi. I know that Iram is going to read the poem, but this is what I, I wish I could, I think I, I must have found the Farsi version, versions and read it to you, but I don't have it handy. I have the English one. Beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. All Meet You There. And Iram, I keep saying Iran because it's a Farsi pronunciation. Iram uh, just told us how to find and how to find a movie and watch the movie. It's really worth spending time on watching and just, you know, 
just seeing what's going on between these characters and about uh, police profiling Muslims. Nikita Tuwani plays Dua in the movie. Dua is a teenage gifted ballerina who began questioning her passion for dance after her grandfather's visit from Pakistan. We're also talking with a personal hero of mine, Dalia Mughahed. Dalia is the CEO of Mughahed Consulting, TED Talk power speaker, advisor, researcher, and former executive director of the Gallup Center for Muslim Studies. So the signature for our show is at the end of every program, I ask my guests to share something meaningful about, about peace, about kindness, and compassion. I believe I'm going to go with Aram and then Nikita and then uh, Dali. But you already said my quote that was going to be. Yes. No, no. You're going to, you're going to say the quote yourself. <laughs> so I think, first of all, I'll just say that my wish for peace is that we try and identify the moment we get uncomfortable with an other, we actually try to move towards rather than away from that discomfort to try and understand better um, and just be patient and not judge as much. This is something I'm growing um, every day on. And Rumi's quote, which the film is uh, named after is, out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Inshallah. 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 Did I spoil, Iram? <laughs> no, I said it better, so it's fine. Of course, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, now Nikita. Um, so this is a poem that I found. I actually, I don't know who the author is. I searched for it for a little while, but I wasn't able to find the author. Um, but here it is. If I have anything to do with it, my very life will be a shelter for every weary wanderer. It will feel like a well-worn sweater, smell like fresh baked bread, and it will sound like the one thing we become wayfarers only to hear. Here you are wanted. Welcome home. Beautiful, thank you. Well, I don't have anything quite as poetic, but um, the thought I'd like to leave uh, you with is the idea of being truth tellers. Uh, I think if we look back at where, where conflict can come from, where injustice can come from oftentimes, it's lies, it's misconceptions, it's people being manipulated uh, and exploited. And, and to work for peace that is robust and sustainable because it's built on justice. And justice starts by telling the truth. So to, to be truth tellers and to, um, and to enable and to empower other truth tellers. And I think telling good stories is part of that. Thank you so much, Thank you, ladies. Really appreciate for being here. Appreciate for your time and uh, thank you for the office. Sarah, you did an incredible job. Producer, oh, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Salam. Sure. Take care. Salam. Bye. 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 Bye